just wanted to know what poor intern do you think had the task of standing behind Tywin's horse with the camera <laughs> waiting for it to take a shit? And uh, that is the question we use to start the... Oh, what would you call this? Is this the penultimate episode of Game of Bones that's leading us into our second, uh, sort of like our own second season, if you would call it that? Like the aftermath of the show? The penultimate? What's the next one? Oh, the next one is the falling action episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's where the real discussion begins, yeah, right? Yeah, this the book is just discussion. Yes. shoddy. I mean, the HBO show is all right. I mean, like, we've been inundated with hundreds of your tweets, but I'm sure that you guys like the the book better than than, than the uh, show, right? Yes, they all do. That's why they get so mad at us when we spoil stuff. I know. Okay, well, we haven't technically spoiled anything too big. It's just that Micah over here has... Micah doesn't assume that people are going to read into his hints. Yeah, that's a a great... They're so subtle. It's just like in passing, there's a little bit of a... (laughs) A comment here or there, and, and maybe when you go back and listen to the episodes again sometime down the road, when you yourself have, have read the books, you know, for the listeners who have just seen the TV show, they'll say, oh, yeah, now I get what he was saying when he randomly mentioned this thing. What you're forgetting, Micah, is that they, on the other hand of us, possess a pause and play button, and some of them even scrub forward and backwards. So your little hints that you're dropping can very easily be backed up on and listened to again and again. Well, if you listen to some of them in reverse, it actually reveals the plot uh, for you're spoiling the whole podcast six. for them. Uh. That's the whole point. <laughs> When you spell Game of Owns backwards, it actually spells Jon Snow in a, in a weird way. <laughs> because Micah is Jon Snow. That's the big secret of Game of Owns. <laughs> no, it's uh, true. Wow. I'm Zach Louie. The girl you're listening to is Selena. Micah is here as well. Obviously, we're missing... You know what? Let's just cut back to him. Let's, let's take the time travel. Let's enter the House of the Undying and visit a piece of our dreams. blast from the possessed yeah <laughs> what, what what might what are you asking me i'm actually i'm actually just going to cut this in because this is like the beginning of the podcast and we're recording at two separate times i see yeah this is super confusing wow eric isn't even talking to us it's right almost now. like eric, are you i, like, I don't even he's know not how talking to to, we're talking to micah right now yeah we are mm. we're just cutting eric in right now that's what's so amazing eric Hi. Hi. It's good to have you. Hey, Eric. Oh, it's almost like you're it's here. It's good to be here. Yeah, in some <laughs> ethereal plane. He's ethereal. He's inside the house of the undying right now. Ooh, that was... Yeah, he's like our Khal Drogo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, in the, uh, I'm in the throne room, and, you know, it's been destroyed by dragons, and it's snowing. Yeah, but was it ashes or was it snow? It's not clear. <laughs> Ash doesn't fall like that. Can I just say that, like, so regularly? Unless there's, like, a big, a bigger building next to it that's burning. We're in the brain room of the Department of Mysteries. <laughs> Daenerys is three simple doors away. Her blonde hair cascading gently down her scapula, which is a shoulder blade. Her scapula. <laughs> mm-hmm, right? We're getting very specific. This episode was so tied to magic. And, uh, you know, when we finally uh, met... You know, Captain Creepyface, he was all like, oh, you know, their magic brought our magic back and their magic is strongest when you're around. So I just assumed that the more deeper, um, you know, truths about this world, uh, how the magic works, would have been fairly true to the book. 
Um, yeah. Simply because that's it's you know it's the underground. It's like the Harry Potter movies. They'll cut out little details. You know, who was it that told Harry to meet in the astronomy tower? Okay, yeah, but they're not going to change that Snape was <laughs> you know in love with somebody else. Um, right. So. I don't know. I just assumed that would be the same, but whatever. You know how, like in um, in Order of the Phoenix, they changed the wording of the prophecy slightly. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that, except they cut out the prophecy completely. Your Eric, it really was an episode full of magic because, like, I up to this point, we've seen only really small snippets here and there, and it seemed like when the shadow badge popped out, it was even like. It was like, holy shit, this is a lot of magic at once. And it was, and everyone's like, well, where's all this magic? You know what I mean? So it's like, we've had taste, but really up to this point, we've only seen like hand to hand combat, you know, or like the wildfire. That's, they might think it's magic, but to us, we just know it's like alchemy. It's just like, hey, um, I watched the show last night with, um, my younger brother. And it was a, uh, it was a good moment for me because, uh, he, went through the entire series like the last five episodes earlier that day or the day before with my hbo go account um from his 360 which again hbo kicking ass nice work um at the end of this episode because i was just like do you remember when i was like you guys it's gonna end with daenerys naked again with dragon <laughs> right yeah, I do. okay so she's walking away in karth and that dragon makes its like little head bounce and you can see everybody stealing shit in the shallow depth of field um and then it cuts to the north. That entire... I didn't see it coming. You guys probably did because you're, you know, you're OG like that. But it blew me away. They completely no, no. destroyed. I didn't see it coming, to be honest with you. I I really thought that they were going to end the episode right there. And then it flipped back to you know, beyond the wall. And I said, oh, this is how they're going to end the season. And it, it just all came like flooding back because... Yeah, I think one of the things to remember when you read these books, they're these massive toms of thousands of pages and you kind of forget from time to time like what happens in which book and I know they've been kind yeah. of playing around with that a little bit on the show, but I completely forgot that this happened <laughs> to be honest with you. It's the and latrine it was just that such threw a, you off. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, why are they going back and building another latrine? Didn't they do that two episodes ago? People shouldn't live anywhere. You have to burn shit to keep warm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're literally piling bricks of fecal materials. And then when he fell over because they heard the horn blow, you could see them gently tumble out of the papoose that he was carrying them in. And and how about you know helping a brother out literally? They just left Sam. They just said, you know what, mm-hmm. fat boy? Yeah, Good here. luck. You can't run. You're going to die. <laughs> Did you see the, the terror on their faces when that happened? And he was just talking about Gilly and, you know, they were hanging out. It was I was hoping that unexpected. you made this, uh, this parallel because we were talking a lot about Tolkien in the last episode. And a lot of you guys on Twitter reacted really positively to that because we know Martin is like is a huge Tolkien fanboy. But when Samwise was talking about Gilly, I was like, don't you mean Rose- Rosie? <laughs> just so, yeah. Like, yeah. They're collective Definitely. Frodo's walking into the snow with him he is like he is samwise gamgee like he's the same character they just stuck in him in game of thrones absolutely except he kind of looks like friar tuck off of robin hood circa uh, i forget the guy's actor's name but i'm sure someone will correct me i thought you meant the cartoon one when they're all foxes i got really excited it's the best disney movie besides oliver and company which in my opinion is very downplayed and doesn't get enough credit Anyway, you brought up though how it, really their reactions went from some kind of hope with Sam, you know, oh, John and Corn Halfhand are back to complete and utter terror 
knowing that the White Walkers were coming. And I thought they had that great effect with the uh, the snow kind of blowing in and obscuring everything that was going on around Sam. And yes. Sam kind of losing the other two guys. Um, and, and then just, you know, that whole scene, the way that it played itself out. I didn't even know if we were going to get a chance to really see the White Walkers. And, and just the... the uh, what they were able to do with it, you know, and there, there's some creepy looking dudes. I mean, they give Captain Creepy Face a run for his money. Uh, I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like Lieutenant Creepy, creepy Face that who we saw on with the big blue eyes, and then at the very last of the shot, we saw the guy in the hood. He was probably like Corporal Creepy Face or like you know like yep. Brigadier General, but uh, it was. It was a crazy moment because, like you said, when they looked toward the snow, that was such a beautiful effect. And I was literally, and I, I don't respond that hugely usually to stuff like this, but I was scared. Like, not literally scared, but I just, I was like, hey, I don't want to see this part. I don't want to see these guys walk out of the snow. I was expecting some big, like, Sauron or some big, like, World of Warcraft, like, Lich King coming out of it. But it was even worse because it was some weird-ass decrepit zombies. Yeah. Complete with bath salts. Which is it's terrifying. <laughs> oh happening. boy! Right? <laughs> yeah, and and I just liked how they were able to really paint the whole picture because I think with the end of season two, you're really left with a feeling, and and I think they did a great job, Benioff and Weiss, of showing how many different fronts this war is taking place on mm-hmm. as we leave and and move on to the next season. I mean, you saw King's Landing, you saw Daenerys, you saw Stannis, you saw. Rob, you saw, uh, you know, beyond the wall, and and with Mance Raider, and now you're seeing the White Walkers against the Night's Watch, and so there's so many different things that are happening. I wonder if there are people out there who just, you know, like they can't get their head around what the hell is going on. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was daunting. It's, they started off the episode with Tyrion in his bed, which it wasn't exactly in his bed. They started. It was. I thought it was such a great mechanic. It reminded me a lot of Lost, honestly with uh with his eyeball but they passed the time so beautifully between blackwater and between him and the bed with the uh, pupil like dilating to seeing the guy standing over him and to seeing like the blue light of being inside the room yeah it was just funny because you know he's being a dick to him he's like hey you put me in a jail cell so um i think that you should enjoy this crappy room yeah he was so smug he was was so annoying he got a little beard trim but i guess that must be from (laughs) from when he grew it back Right, wasn't it cut off when he was sent down to the? Uh, it was, yeah. Oh, to, yeah. To the dungeons. I was about to say, I'm like, dude, your beard's looking a little neat there for uh, for for an old man, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I like this because it showed you how quickly the game can change. You know, I think you saw it in a number of instances in this episode, but no, none more so than with Tyrion, and and just how he went from having pretty much everything to having absolutely nothing in a matter of you know, episodes, but I mean, he, he's really left not being the hand of the king, not having any allies in King's Landing anymore, other than probably Shay. Uh, you know, he's lost Varus, he's lost Bronn, and I, I just like that they showed that dynamic. What do you think of um, Shay's feelings, having read the books, Shay's feelings for Tyrion in the show? Because at this point, I'm like convinced that she loves him. It, it, I think we talked a little bit about it the last episode. I, I think it at least appears to be genuine on the uh, yeah. on the screen. I, I know we kind of talked about, well, is she in it just for the money and the ability to live in King's Landing, or is she in it because of Tyrion? And I think really in this episode, more than 
any before, you kind of get that feeling that she actually does care about him. Yeah, the bedroom's gone. Mm -hmm. Tyrion's bedroom has disappeared. He is now in some sort of a broom closet. So as far as the show goes, now I have no misgivings. Like I completely think, okay, well, it's it's clear how she feels now because I had that really yeah. like sweet moment where they were hugging and all of that stuff. So that that was probably the most, I guess, legit moment of the entire both seasons for me thus far, as far as two feelings for each other goes. One of the things, though, that I was wondering is, though, how has Tyrion become so isolated if you look at where he is and everything that he's lost why has he lost it you know why wouldn't even his father you know come to his aid after he sent him there to be hand of the king well he's not dead yet so i mean technically maybe tywin did have something to do with him you know not being slain because i doubt that they hid his doctoring you know yeah and it's hard to know with with his dad obviously because he does seem like a semi-nice guy in the show but i think underlying with his dad is just the fact that he hates him you know he's the one in his eyes in his dad's eyes Tyrion is the monster who killed his wife and yeah. he doesn't really you know as he said in season one I just love I love that quote where he says all all dwarves are, de are bastards in their father's eyes mm -hmm. um, and that's how his father feels about him and yeah he did entrust him with the responsibility but now it's kind of like you know I'm here and I saved the city when you couldn't, even though, of course, that is completely ridiculous because how could Tyrion do it? But that is sort of, I think, the attitude that he's coming in with. Right. Is that Tyrion failed and now Tywin will take over and Ty Tyrion could just sort of be relegated to the background again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the other part of it, though, is that it's a much longer period of time that, you're, that you experience in the books um, with, with him sort of being trying to recover. And so I was wondering why they didn't kind of give that a little bit more attention over time and kind of let the viewer wonder, is Tyrion really going to make it? I mean, I think that would have made a great sort of cliffhanger of sorts leading into the next season because, you know, you see him fall down on the beach with his face slashed open and you don't know what's going to happen to him. Right. I think they probably were adverse to making Tyrion seem like, oh, he might be alive or dead necessarily because... I don't know, maybe there's so much else going on cliffhangery. Like, I feel like that might piss off viewers a lot more than, oh, there's a bunch of zombies now going toward the fist. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Do you agree that there was sort of that fall from grace, like how quickly the power in this game changes when you see Tyrion mm -hmm. go from being pretty much at the top to now more or less at the bottom? Yeah. I mean, I think it could have been a little bit more powerful. Like I said, the fact that he was still alive and getting treated by his wounds, I didn't feel too overly sorry for him because he played the game pretty hard. Maybe not as well as someone like Varys did. And now he's, you know, but he's he's not suffering the same consequences a lot of other people that have played the game too hard have done. Like Ned Stark got his head cut off. Like Tyrion's, mm -hmm. he's in a shitty place, but at the end of the day, he's still Tyrion Lannister and he could sell to Pentos, which is the same place at the beginning of the series that we saw the Targaryens and you know, Danny and her brother was chilling. So it's like, we know it's a nice place. We know it's probably decent. So I didn't feel too overly sorry for him. And then he made the comment where he was like, I don't want to go. This is what I enjoy. The game is what I want. I liked having power and I want it back, essentially, is what he was saying. And you see that still there's that mutual respect between Varys and him. And you kind of wonder how that relationship might play itself out moving into next season. Because although there's a quote that Tyrion says to Varys where he says, you don't want to swim t too right. close to a drowning man. And, and I thought that was almost a tie back to earlier in the season 
um, Varys had that quote about something about fish, right? Or I don't know. There was something to do with water. Well, even when Varys said, you know, I won't be seeing you for a long time. Like it, it, it wasn't a negative moment. Tyrion totally understood it. He's like, oh, you don't want to swim too close to a drowning man. Was an expression that means um, this dude's drowning. If you swim close to him, he's probably going to pull you under to keep himself up. Oh, and then eventually take you down with him. So that was a good, mm-hmm. um, a good phrase, a good moment to kind of paint the context. I just thought like it was a good tie-in, and I'll I'll try and find the quote. But I wonder how that relationship is going to play out, you know, moving forward. Because clearly, there's that, like I said, mutual respect between the two of them. He's really one of the only people that Tyrion has that actually likes him in King's Landing. I forget the whole quote, but basically, he was saying the king's not going to give you credit for this. And they won't sing about you in the songs, and you won't be written in the histories. But for those of us that were here, we won't forget. So I thought that, if for anything, that was a weird moment for us in Varys, because we're seeing the relationship grow over the past few episodes, and I feel like it's probably stronger in the TV show than it is in the book. Because in the show, it looks like it's totally legit and real, but just like the back of my mind tells me that he's still the biggest snake in in the show, so I shouldn't trust what he's saying. But from what they're painting in the show, he seems totally honest, totally legit, that he just wants to be Tyrion's friend. Yeah. That's how I feel as well. Like, it, it's so strange. And you can never tell because you don't know what it's going to be like in the book. And you know what was, was further interesting about Varys in this episode is when he went to go see Roz. Which, first of all, I'm confused. How did she get out? I thought she was in prison. She was beaten by Sir Mandon Moore and a few other guys. That's what she was putting the makeup on for. Yeah, but then how... I, I thought I just thought they were holding her capture, so I was like really confused by what she was doing just back at the whorehouse. That but, was a little crazy, right? She's just back to her yeah. old tricks, just putting on exactly. that... Exactly. Yep, putting on that cover. But yeah, so he was basically, first of all, just talking to her about making her an ally... Which is, I just, I don't understand why she's not dead yet, because right. <laughs> she confuses me so much because she's best, not in the books. The scene was just um, so brilliant. The, no need for that, my dear, when she starts taking yes. off her clothes. <laughs> um, but then, and then he proceeds to warn her about uh, Baelish, saying that he is a very dangerous man. And it's just, it's so interesting. She's learned so much about Varys. Like, when she's like, you're very kind, my lord, allow me to return the favor. And she reaches for his... Uh, his cash and prizes and it turns out <laughs> there's only prizes and she was like what and he's like i thought you said you knew who i was like they're having yeah, how does she not know who he is by now she says i mean her excuse was i meet many men and he's like yeah but i bet you remember all of their faces so i guess they just haven't formally met yet is what it is yeah and and i like it from the standpoint that you know you get to see now how much varus is playing the game and he, he wants a spy. I'm sure he has others, but for whatever reason, he knows that she is going to be more easily persuaded for whatever reason, probably because Baelish allowed her to be given up to the, the Lannisters in place of Shay. And so, I just – this is a character I think we've really kind of kept our eye on throughout all the seasons so far. And even right. when we're doing the first few episodes of this podcast, we're saying, well – what is his role in all of this? And and you, you're starting to see, and and I don't know if you see it as much in the books, and I think they're making it more apparent in the show to kind of build him up more and more as the seasons go on. You know, Selena, you're right. It is kind of weird that the alpha whore wouldn't know who Varys is. You know what I mean? Yeah, isn't it? Like, I yeah. just think that was a bit 
didn't really because you know it's it's a small city right king's landing surely they'd know yeah <laughs> and she's pretty tight with baelish and baelish you know they, they made baelish and and varus seem like you know like they were enemies but they were still kind of like Tyrion baelish or T- Tyrion varus tight for this season like they were pretty tight like they were the ones talking to each other that were, i don't know maybe they were just uniting to take down ned but yeah it's kind of weird i guess in a way when you think about it like except the fact that she did go to the castle quite a few times being in a whorehouse surely if there was one man she would never see it would be uh varus you know another character that i thought in this episode kind of had the game flipped over on her was sansa i mean she went from being not necessarily on top but being safe in in a lot of respects to really being thrown to a bunch of lions i have a really quick really random question that i want to ask you guys you know you know that horse that pooed. <laughs> um, that, that's the owner of the week, by the way. That's my owner of the week is the horse <laughs> owning the floor to the throne well, room. Well, how did they make that happen? Just cin- cinematically, like... They basically just dropped it, and it was a bunch of... Like, basically, the, the continuity of the shot was created by the sound. Oh, well, that makes sense. I, I should have thought of that. I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, we had the obligatory horse shit, you know, which usually happens in, in situations like this. <laughs> and so Tyron, or Tywin rides his horse. And were you guys just a little bit happy for him? I mean, like when I saw him riding his steed in throne room, I was like, he's probably the only guy that's gotten away with doing this so far. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like he rides up and he has this whole thing and all that stuff goes down. And, you know, obviously the whole the whole ceremony went down. But uh, Sansa, when she walked away from the balcony, she did the little cheer. I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with that situation. But that was such a great thing they added in the show, in my opinion. Like, just to push your character even more forward. Just like, yes. Like, I was, I don't know, I think we were all kind of pumped for her at that moment. Yeah, like she was allowed a little tiny moment of happiness. You know, it wasn't like she was like, oh, no, I'm so embarrassed. She was she had so like relieved. five seconds of happiness before <laughs> yeah, Baelish then... walked over and ruined the party. <laughs> I thought in that yeah. moment when he was like saying, oh, I can see so much of your mother in you. I thought he was about to make a move on her. Like they were pretty close. And like in that scene, I don't know if that's just the way they filmed it, but she looked really grown up in that scene. They were both the same height. He's kind of a small guy. I just felt like he was going to make a move on her. It was really awkward. Um, yeah, his feelings for her are a bit are very complex in right. the story. Well, I mean, because he, he's such a he's a com- complex guy as well with the way he feels yeah. toward Catelyn. So I feel like, well, if Catelyn's not around in his actual general vicinity, well, Sansa's the next best thing because she's just like her. I don't know. It was weird. We had we had actually mm-hmm. a comment from Twitter. Um, I'll read the username at the end of the episode when we're doing the owns, but uh, said that Marjorie Tyrell's. Um, cleavage owned the entire room. It indeed did. <laughs> Marjorie Tyrell. We really needed an easy button to play for at that at that moment when Marguerite Tyrell became the future Mrs. Joffrey. It may, it may have had a lot to do with uh, Joffrey's decision swinging from Sansa over to Marjorie because uh, I mean, as far as the in, in the looks realm and as far as the soldiers realm, I think that she's got Sansa beat on both regards. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. Obviously, Sansa's a lot younger the thing is if he marries marjorie i mean he can still have access to sansa so it's like well this girl's got soldiers it was just so convenient how the religious walls were knocked down you know how it's just people in power and it's just been said throughout history i love how picel steps out and he's like well you know i did talk to this guy and he said it would be okay because her dad sucked really bad so you can do it if you want yeah exactly and again i mean that's another example of just 
a peripheral character coming in and owning the stage. I mean, I feel like Paisal was like, yeah, man, I'm back. Like, he had a little cameo <laughs> the last episode talking to Cersei, but, like, he he owned Tyrion in that earlier shot, and now he's, like, taking the center stage and in, in, in I, King's Landing. I didn't think the, of it that way. Damn it. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, his beard's growing back. He's got a nice little... Uh, you know, action going on yeah. there. He's, uh, he, he, who knows? I mean, he had Roz, maybe he's got Roz back now too. Good for him though, right? Good he had Roz season one, right? Yeah. She was in there with him. Yeah. That man, he, and he's faking his whole back thing. Yeah, he is. Oh, I would too. Come on, think about it. You don't even <laughs> mind to be threatened by you. Hmm. I, yeah. I, I love Marjorie completely in that scene because she was, she was just playing the role so well. She was just like, oh yeah, I've heard of your tales of bravery and all this other horse shit, like the horse that's on the way in. And I, uh, I just, I have these feelings deep inside of me that, that are just, I just love you and all this shit. I was just like, well, nice wordplay there. You did very, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you did very, very well with your wordplay. It's probably very the, graphic on the website. We uh, have an, uh, an article that Joffrey was part of on GQ and they're basically talking about like the worst villains in TV and they were talking to Jack Gleason and um, he was, they were asking him about his character and about what he does to get in the zone. He says that he watches Gladiator and channels Walking Phoenix, you know, as this role as the, as the Emperor, you know, as the Caesar, blah, blah, blah. And he basically acts the same sort of evil way. So if anyone wants to watch that film and draw some kind of parallel, minus Russell Crowe, I think that just his entire just deviance in that scene where he was just being sort of a jackass on the throne, it was just so perfect and uh, convenient like i said with the religious situation and just painted such a complex picture and it was to in my opinion the most powerful joffrey scene throughout the entire season obviously this is a totally different joffrey in this episode and i even felt that that was one of my notes from watching that that scene with with joffrey is not only is he uh giddy from being victorious or whatever but for the first time he's actually acting like some sort of a king um, and, you know, he, he pretty much cleared the marriage with his council and the gods. Yeah, Everybody was urging him not to not to wed that stupid Stark girl, um, you know, before he could consent to marriage. And I was like, you know what? This Joffrey guy, I don't know. He's kind of doing things by the book now all of a sudden. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I thought he did a great job just – you know how hard must it be to to sit in front of a, a room like that and give the speech that he's giving? And you know, I, I mean, look, I don't know how many times they had to do a, a take on that, but you know, to me, that that's really impressive. You know, and like you were saying, to have that composure and to act in that particular way, we are just an insufferable shit to everybody, right? Uh, but but in this case, you know, he's kind of like being really coy with everything that he says, and I really liked when. Uh, Tywin came up and he just kind of says, thank you, your grace. What is going through Tywin's head right now? Um, You know, I I just feel like he's thinking, you're such a little piece of shit. I'd love to come up there and strangle the air out of your lungs. (laughs) I thought thank you. (laughs) The way he said it was just like so ironic because everyone there was thinking Tywin should be the king. You know what I mean? Sure. And he was just like, thank you, your grace. It was just so ironic. I was like, you know what? Why don't you just usurp this throne? Okay. Yeah, there we go. You know what I mean? Like That's the solution. <laughs> he's, he's still a Lannister and he's still a total ass bag, I guess, in most people's opinion. But at least he's not temperamental, you know, which changes mind and deciding people get their heads sliced off, which I'll forever I hold think- a grudge on him for. <laughs> I think that we'll prob- we would probably have a very similar rule with a... Tywin Lannister as we would with Stannis Baratheon. I guess that's, that's true. Except point. minus the weird fire god and the flames. That's, that's true, except <laughs> the craziness. Right. <laughs> minus the shadow people, which are They just all have dangerous. to p- pray to uh, 
Tywin's horse. Well, Tywin's yes. horse has done some honorable things. Think about yep. what he's done. He shit all over the Joffrey dynasty. Literally. I love literally. the fact, though, that you can, like, I've, I watched it back, and you can literally see the mound of shit in the background as Tywin is talking to Joffrey. <laughs> and it's coming from Joffrey's point of view. I love how you watched it back from that. That's, that's, yeah, no, that's exactly what I watched. Well, and I, and I, Micah, you're, you're interesting. <laughs> yep. How about also... Uh, Varys's reaction to Baelish, uh, you know, w- once we learned that it was him that sort of made this alliance between the Lannisters and the Tyrells and that he was going to receive uh, Harrenhal. I, th- I thought that was almost, you know, it gave you the whole reasoning, I guess, behind Varys going after the fact. And as we mentioned earlier, having that conversation with Roz, you can tell that there's a, there's this pretty serious game going on between the two of them. That's actually good that you brought that up because I didn't make that connection, but I guess that would make total sense why he just decided to go after his, like, number one, like, alpha girl, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, exactly. Like, she's bringing in the most bucks. Like, when... when that makes sense now. Thanks, Micah. <laughs> no problem. It's, it's like, it's almost like on a podcast we analyze things and shit comes out of it. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> yes. It's like it's one of us it's like the horse. knows what they're talking about. <laughs> so, when, when he gave him Harrenhal... Which was run- funny because he was promised that before. Uh, Baelish himself thought it was kind of a joke. But then we, re- we realized, you know what? It's not a joke. It's still a big-ass place. Like, it's yours. What did you have before? You had a few whorehouses inside King's Landing. Like, whatever. Like, it's time to spread out. Like, no one lives in the city anymore. So, <laughs> like, everyone was sort of... I thought they were, like, kind of laughing at him in that scene. When it cut to the few, like, B-shots of the reactions after they gave it to him, I felt like some of them were were like, oh, that's funny. It's Hall. And then some of them were just like, oh, man, that's Harrenhal. But, like, Harrenhal is maybe, like, a really crappy castle, but its grounds are three times the size of Winterfell. Like, and he's going to get all of that money. So he really is going to get some serious power off of this. I think he was he was rewarded uh, appropriately for what he did. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I The whole time, and you guys are just total asses for not, like, at least texting me and telling me. Because, like, we were just so confused about what was happening, like, where the hell Baelish was this entire season. You guys knew, knew he was just, like, horsing around, like, grabbing people and, like, eventually going to save the day. Yeah, but we don't give out spoilers on this show. No, you give them out to me during text messages. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this happens. Oh, thanks. I'll Other just... than subtle hints dropped uh, cryptically throughout. Very, very cryptically. Well, to a more lighthearted piece of the of the show, I um, had an actual moment where I cheered out loud because I was afraid that we might not get another like shot of this. Um, but when it cut to the opening shot of Brienne and Jamie like pulling the canoe, oh, God. <laughs> how, how brilliant was that? And without cutting away, you hear the first line, and he goes, "You're a virgin, I take." It was just, oh, it was so brilliant. I feel like their scenes are like one entire own just like their entire interaction right all of the things that they say to each other and all of the expressions and all of the things they do is just so unbelievably brilliant it was great the, the J- yes. jamie's lines was just he's like some boys like a challenge one of them must he's have so tried funny. He, one of them must have tried to get inside big brand <laughs> it's just like <laughs> how they take a character who's done so many bad things, like throwing children off of castles because he was sleeping with his sister at the moment and he was very embarrassed. How they take a guy who's done this and they turn him into hilarious um, is just awesome because he's got such a charismatic character and it really paints the context of how, like, if you're charming, you can get out of a lot of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Like his, 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 um, his charm is just what drives. It. I mean, I, I know I've done this obvious comparison before, but it's Sawyer and Lost. They even oh, look yeah. alike. It's that's the thing is that they do all these terrible things and then they give you a nickname and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> Micah, just grow your hair out. And the next time you spoil shit for me, I won't mind. I'll just be like, oh, Micah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just I was really bothered by that scene in general, not because of what was in it, just because of the implications that it had. And it kind of made me a little bit hesitant for the impending zombie apocalypse because I know what's going to happen when that follows. And we're talking about like martial law. So imagine living in a time when like when you saw people randomly walking around you had like hey who who do you fight for like you had to demand their allegiances you know or you get your ass cut off like who knows who do you or do you fight for this person but like nowadays when we see people passing on the street or even like in remote locations you're like oh they're probably doing some stuff but in the world that they live in like they just want like they demand to know who they are or, or you're going to get killed basically that guy signed all three of their death warrants by asking Jamie and Brienne to say what Jamie's name was at the same time. <laughs> yes. I'm assuming like he probably knew that they were doing some sort of cover, but he probably didn't know that he was going to die for asking that question. I don't even think he cared. I just think that he felt like he like who like who the hell are you to ask who these people are? She's got armor too. Yeah, but they just didn't take her seriously. I mean, that's one of the I guess the tragic things about that scene is that you see them realize that she's a woman and they just laugh and laugh and laugh and you just realize that this is what she always has to deal with so he's like she's carrying the kingslayer this is a kingslayer um i'm going to take the kingslayer from her because clearly she's a woman she's not going to be able to do anything of course, he was wrong. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he's, he, uh, the best, My girl, Brienne, just kicked their ass. The best part was when he was like, obviously, the guy that's like the leader of the bunch was like, how would you know what a Kingslayer looks like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Like how, how kind of thick they were. And it's like, it doesn't, it did a really great job again. Um, we are natural Stark fans and we knew the whole time that these guys were Stark soldiers. So normally we would be like, go whoever you are because you got a wolf as a crest. But... In this situation, it was a foreigner, for all intents and purposes, Brienne, who we've grown to like, and the villain, Jamie Lannister, who we've, I guess, I mean, grown to like. But we cheered because we were against the people we were originally for. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's interesting how they're making us question our own allegiances inside of the show. Uh-huh. It's like what Selena was talking about a couple of episodes, or last episode, with Blackwater. You know, you're going from one side to the other. With Tyrion, with Davos, you know, there's these likable characters on both sides and you're confused because you don't know, should you be rooting for one or rooting for the other? What happens when they finally face off against each other? Right. I do love what, they, what they're what they doing with the show because predominantly it's been a very masculine sort of male power show. You know, they're, they're very, they're not shy at all about their uses with constant cutbacks to the whorehouse because, hey, you know, we already built the set. It's pretty low budget. Throw in some nudity, we'll get more views, right? I feel like that they do that sometimes. Like it's an easy cutaway. But um, what they're doing with Brienne's character and sort of with Marjorie too is like with Brienne in this entire scene, like showing the the girls strung up. They're like, what do you think of these beauties? You know, she's like, I hope that they had a quick death. And he's like, well, two of them, like he was just being such a, just a, an asshole. And right. they allowed this entire moment where 
not only does like Selena said, she kicked their ass, but she kicked their ass so hard that Jamie, who's like the sword of the land, essentially, was just like, oh shit, she could probably kick my ass, you know? Yeah, he got some respect for her. Right. By the way, I was going to say, you know, if we, uh, <laughs> inspired by a tweet that we got to at Game of Phones, if um, we do need something to do during the hiatus, Miss DL has a great idea. She says, uh, at Game of Phones should do a reading of some Jamie Brienne fanfic. That should be interesting. Oh, I almost <laughs> tweeted back at her, because she listens to my other podcast edition she's so nice but i almost tweeted back at her and said you know what we're gonna do that so we'll, we'll talk about that toward the end of the episode some of the ideas of some of the things we're doing in the off season mm-hmm. or we might just save it till the next episode i'm not sure but um when it's just the nice it's just it's just good because they've spent so much of the series building this certain image but they're they're allowing so much of like like they're Brienne is sort of touting they're they're playing the other side of the fence as well like well this this is a chick and she's kicking all this ass and she's killing these dudes so it's like is this a sexist show well well yes and no but Brienne just killed some dudes so what now like she's the one walking around with the most badass dude you know yep so it's- yeah I I never really understood sorry not to get into this now but I never really understood the whole sexist thing because it's you know, you look at the women on the show. I mean, they are all pretty awesome. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've heard it and I've seen it. And, and I like, it's like the same as you. I don't really necessarily agree with that, with that thought. But um, it's very clear that with the inclusion of this, that that's definitely not the case. Yeah. Brienne just basically owns my life. <laughs> by owning your life, you mean she stabbed the dude up the crotch with a long blade. It's pretty much. Yes. And by doing so, she got to my heart (laughs) (laughs) you know i I taking it a bit too far (laughs) technically that's possible i don't know if it's pleasant but it's all the way up yes all i want to do is just read all of your tweets that you sent us guys because like literally we have just we've been inundated with all of your awesome tweets talking about various forms of these scenes and we'll you know we'll either throw them in a post on um, game of owens or obviously we'll read as much of them as we can at the top of the episode or at the end of the episode so back at Camp Stark. Yes. Speaking of the Starks. Catelyn had the absolute, one of the best lines of the, of the episode when she was talking to Rob and he goes, I love her. And she replies, I know that seems important to you. <laughs> <laughs> like really condescending. Oh, and I, I know. It makes, it's not as exciting as Secret Passion in the Woods, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> I loved her relationship with Ned, though. Catelyn and Ned's relationship. I think it was amazing. It definitely... Like, they were such good friends, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, they were friends first, and then they eventually grew to love each other. So, that was, she, it was such a good, important scene there, because, like, she called... Um, I, I keep forgetting the actual girl's name in the show. I know her, like, actual real name. Um, uh, Talisa. Right. Well, her name, the nurse. She says, like, oh, I know that she's exotic, and I know that, you know, that they're not exotic, but they're, you know, they're a very... I don't know. You you swore an oath, so you get the boring girl. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I thought the most important thing that she told Rob in that particular scene was that Walder Frey is a dangerous man to cross. Well, I mean, squibs can be dangerous too, man, if they have access to enough squ- quickspell tomes. So, But what do you think the repercussions for something like that could be? I think it's clear just by process of uh-huh. elimination, we can assume that he is, like, with as much to attention as they've showed to it in the show... I think it's rather clear that something is going to happen. Like, he can't just promise yeah. I'm going to marry this chick. Like, Walter Frey is going to come after him, obviously. And we want to see Argus Filch again. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Mrs. Norris will be with him. It'll be awesome. Yeah. But enough about his daughter. Right. <laughs> I. It's just so funny because, like, they paint him as this strong leader, this king in the north, and then he's still going away and doing this crazy teenager stuff. So it's like as, as grown up as you think you are, you're still going off and getting married with the first girl you ever hooked up with. So 
I know it's exciting now, but I know it seems very important to you now. Yeah. <laughs> You've been there. Selena, I don't know how it is in the UK, but I'm sure you get all your little teenage, like, oh, we go to the cinema together. We go to the cinema and go to the, I don't know, like, what do you call no, stuff? No, here, here in, in Europe, we pretty much are, you know, sworn by birth to who oh, we're going to marry. And then there's oh, a big you? ceremony by, the, by a river. And then, yeah. Right. So I, I would, I really wouldn't know. So, you, so you were sworn to Nikolai, right? Like that's. The, I was. I'm yeah. still waiting. Well, I think you're gonna have to go through Brienne, and I don't Patiently. know what that's gonna be like oh, for you. Wow. Probably Eric too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. And he's not here to defend himself. This is even better. He'd probably agree. <laughs> that's the thing. No, you're, uh, you're right. He probably would. But I just probably. thought that scene really painted like. You know, going back and talking about the times that they're living and how important these these oaths, these bonds are that they that they make, and you know, you you kind of saw what happened to Ned Stark for being so loyal and honorable. So it, it really begs the question: you know, should his son follow in his footsteps the same way? I mean, there there come a time or multiple times, I think, where you kind of have to look the other way and, and do what's best for you as opposed to you know, whatever agreements that you made in the past. Well, I think that maybe the whole point, an, uh, an overarching point to this series is they're in a transitional phase, much like we've went through in countless different stages throughout the, the course of uh, modern human history. And by modern, I mean like the last two and a half thousand years. But these transitional phases where the old and the tried and the true have to go through a very abrupt change and all of these modern thoughts are pushed into the mindset. Because, I mean, it wasn't – I mean, we're, we're talking about like we've got the gay marriage stuff happening in the United States right now. Like there's so many different – like I don't want to say controversies, but just over the past few hundred years that have happened between you know Europe and the United States – that um, have been trounced by new people and new knowledge. So you have a new generation that it's like Rob's age, Jon Snow's age. Like Jon's doing different things in the North that other people that have taken the black haven't done. And we have Daenerys handling herself in a total different way than people in her family have. Like we have very non-traditional, I don't want to say combat scenarios, but different regimes moving forward in very non-traditional ways with very non-traditional traditional sentiments. And so whoever takes takes over in the end like their own sentiment how they think is like what they think is real and true that's going to be the new standard so they're just progressing the world of westeros and they're progressing all seven kingdoms you know sorry for that tangent <laughs> no no i thought it, i thought it was a good point but i feel like that's probably what martin is painting like it's a very underlying theme and you know maybe we're seeing a lot of pathos and a lot of sort of i don't necessarily want to say personification but we're seeing you know the dragons and the long winter and the threat at the end of this episode are painting very different sort of overarching ideas versus the, you know, upfront danger, but more of the change that's happening in this world. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you, you question a lot of the things that you think are s supposed to be these, you know, core values, you know, honor, integrity, loyalty, you know, do you have to betray them on some level in order to essentially save your own ass in the end. I think that's what the comet represents at the beginning of the season. It's showing sort of uh, its own cosmic change. Like on a more cosmic level, it's saying there's a there's a new wind, you know? Things are things are different now. And then the comet never shows up again. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's what's interesting about that is that in one of the episode extras of this week, George R. R. Martin actually briefly touched on the comet. He was saying how 
basically, as far as I understood what he said, the point of the comment is that omens in this book don't just exist as absolute truth. This comment was an omen for all these characters in so many different ways. Like, according to their own beliefs, they all took it as a sign of one particular thing. That's but awesome. That's all it was. That that sort of applies to the whole prophecy aspect of so many things that we saw. Like even uh-huh. even in the House of the Undying, it's like, well, it's all perspective. Like however you see it, however it applies to you. Yeah, like that 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 um that scene we saw with Daenerys in the throne room with the burnt sky and the burnt um, ceiling and the snow. Is that necessarily going to happen in season seven? We don't know, especially because it didn't happen in the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we really don't know. I feel yeah. like, do you guys feel like it was inspired a little bit by the Department of Mysteries and Harry Potter? I don't know. I think, I think in the book it came first. Oh, well, definitely. And But you said this is different from the book, the way they handled it. So I'm saying right. like, as far as on television, like I know I, I tweeted it as a joke and a lot of you guys retweeted it, but like for all intents and purposes... Danny enters the Department of Mysteries. Like, first, she's in the Hall of Prophecy, except literally it's a hall showing a prophecy. You know what I mean? Like, it's the throne room showing a prophecy. There's not glass balls everywhere. Like, it's it's a prophecy. She's seeing the future, right? And so, like, there's all of mm-hmm. these different doors. You have a very, like, door-like thing, room. And it's like, she's not using flagrate to see where she's going, but she just decides to kind of stumble around and go into different places. And I just felt like this was a very sort of transient moment for the entire series and for her as a character. But as well, I just, I, there was so much mirroring I felt to that. I know it was a joke, but I, I started to see it after a while, like for real. It might be stupid. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not. I was, I was surprised also that it took us almost 40 minutes into the episode to get to the House of the Undying. Or and 10, yeah, I was 10 episodes the into the season, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't realize that we had a whole half hour left to go, but it was just, uh, it it was great the way that it was done, but as Selena pointed out, it's not consistent at all with the book, which, you know, leads me to ask the question, you know, what kind of direction is the show going to go into, and, and is there anything that people who have read the books can take out of the show, seeing how it was so drastically changed? And one of the things that sort of worries me the most or concerns me in terms of... Because, you know, sometimes you say, oh, well, they change stuff, but that's okay because it's a TV show, so we can't expect it to be the same. The only reason that I'm worried about particular things being changed is that then I think, well, if they're not important enough to make it into the TV show, are they important enough in the story that they're going to be resolved in future books that's true you know and that's that and and i think one of the prime examples here is that and this can't possibly be considered a spoiler now because it was supposed to have happened already is that when daenerys entered the house of the undying one of the main things that was the point of her entering the house in in the beginning was that the actual undying who we didn't really meet who she actually ended up killing all of them they told her a prophecy which said that Daenerys had to face three treasons, um, three fires, and three mounts, who you sort of interpret as men she mounts, <laughs> um, to, to put it in a certain way. Right. And, um, and that sort of, that's been a big part of her story. That's something that in future, in future books that she's in, she, she thinks about it a lot, and she sort of has this moment where she realizes one of the treasons have happened, you know, those sorts of things. And 
it's sort of a it's such a big part of her story and what's to come for her that because they left it out of the of this of the TV show now I'm sort of sitting here well was there any point to putting this in the books maybe they'll revisit it in season three like maybe they thought it was too much to put at at the end of this because so much was happening well I mean there's there's six visions that she has in the book and one of them probably could not have been included it was too spoilery it yeah. Yeah, I mean it it basically foreshadows a, a major event that takes place in uh, storm of swords. Right. So they could not possibly have have put that in there and and probably crafted the the end of part 1 of season 3 or I guess just season 3. Sorry. I know they're cutting it into two parts, but you know what I mean like they they, they probably would have been given away too much. And so I feel like maybe that that they decided well let's change things up here a little bit. We don't necessarily have to do all six of them and and maybe we can tweak them a little bit where they're not where the viewer might be a little bit f- more familiar with what's going on because I feel like by going to King's Landing and, and getting that shot um, you know inside of, of the castle with you know the throne room and it looks like the, uh, the, the the tops of the walls have been burned off by dragons similar to what we saw in Heron Hall right and then going into the wall like these are all familiar places to right. us. And then she gets into the tent and all of a sudden Cal Drogo is there who, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, hey, make a cameo. Why don't you? I did not know that was happening. Did you guys see the parallel? Because I'm going to go back to the Department of Mysteries. Like, I felt like, okay, so when she walked through the wall, that was, okay, you're, she's in the veil room and she walks up to the, the tent and opens the tent. And so we finally get to see what happens when someone goes through the veil. And guess what? Just like we all predicted, she's in the world <laughs> of the dead and she's talking to two dead people. Like, this is a, I just, I'm, I'm really not trying to pull like parallels out of thin air and people are probably listening and probably laughing about it because it is true though. Like, okay, let's, if we're imagining all of these things are real parallels and I know they're totally not, not like linked at all as far as like actual fiction goes but it's sort of a funny thing to think of it that way like the tent was going through the veil and she's entered this world of the dead and then tumblr explodes because danny and drogo <laughs> are back together again right so there's gifts galore and then we see the i was baby. so glad they didn't spoil that i know and then we get to see a baby that has more hair than any human baby has ever had and it was like stylish <laughs> And the baby looked like Jon Snow. And I wanted to say, sorry, Drogo. It looks just like Jon Snow with straight hair, man. Yes. <laughs> but did you read anything into the, the fact that she went uh, into King's And this is what I'm talking about with maybe people who have only read the books and are now watching the show can take more out of what's happening in the show because that can be the direction that they're looking to take it down the line. You know, okay, we're foreshadowing her being in King's Landing and, and wiping it out with her dragons. And then she goes beyond the wall. You know, is she looking for Jon Snow for some reason? I don't know. That's true. Ooh, yes. Oh, wow. This is that one of the this is one of our theories for the off season. I think because yeah. I have a lot to say about yeah. um, that particular potential story development. Well, I can't wait till we get there then because that's that's actually I didn't even think about that. But the implication of her walking out of the wall is is awesome, and it's not just because they already had that effect done and didn't have to pay for much. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's just they, they have the no that. Wow, that's kind of neat. That was just a, a really, I, I don't want to say touching scene, because for me, 
me, it wasn't that touching, but like, he was just like, you know, what, what was the, the excellent Drogo quote where he was talking about uh, something like I would tell uh, the horse Lord to go fuck himself. Cause I'd rather wait here for you. But she was like, well, maybe I'm dead. You know, maybe, maybe this is the death. Maybe I'm riding in the nightlands with you. And he goes, or maybe I refuse to enter the nightlands without you. Maybe I told the great town to go fuck himself and came back here to wait for you. Yeah. I know. That was so cute. The whole thing was just so cute. I feel like it was like sort of like the King's Cross. Like I keep bringing back Harry Potter, but it was sort of like the King's Cross where she's talking to Dumbledore and he knows so much (laughs) more than she does. Like he knew so much more than she did. And I felt like... Yeah, and you know, there was even a baby there. Yeah. Oh, there was a baby. Except this baby was just like the same baby that they used in Mad Men. So there was a parallel with that as well. He's going to have like a huge IMDb before he's like three years old. And then Captain Creepyface got... Burnt. Yeah, you know, about that. He's he made this whole line about oh my magic is so strong now. Like you think he conjured Incarcerus to get her trapped. You think that he could have like maybe doused himself off with some water. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I was kinda not believing that whole thing just because of all this magic, like you were saying, that that he supposedly possesses and then he just gets toasted by three baby dragons. Well, let's be real here. Like, she's walking around this giant tower, like, that's like circa Pokemon when you're haunting for hunters and hunters and ghastlies. And she's like, this scary place. They're walking around the castle, and um, she, he's following her, and he's just like, hey, he, why didn't he just tell her to slow down? You know, like, I can't, like, you're walking too fast. And so she disappears. Yeah. It's like, we obviously have this, like, huge image painted that there's, like, these super powerful warlocks. And that they're so much more powerful now. And he's promising her, like, basically immortality if she stays there. Like, it didn't sound like mm-hmm. that bad of a deal, I guess. And, yeah, the little dragons yeah. are able to take care of the, the end, whole situation. He was just like a wild Mr. Mime using teleportation. There you go. Uh, hey! <laughs> the Pokemon <laughs> comes full circle. No, but, like... For real though, I I feel like maybe after a hundred years they could have grown buddies enough where like they let her out and go do shit. Well, also, well, those dragons are not going to stay that size forever, right? Well, mm-hmm. I, maybe, maybe, maybe the whole deal with being in the house and then dying is that they don't age. So like, time stands still. Yeah, maybe. so that's how they live forever or whatever. So it's like the bell jar, and, and <laughs> I'm just keeping. I'm just going to keep making these parallels oh, if you guys let me. <laughs> But uh, um, no, it was it was cool. Uh, obviously, I think what they what they tried to say with the dragons becoming more powerful powerful with Danny being there was when she said Dracarys or whatever. Like they're so much stronger than the, the creepy faces, the creepy. I don't know how to say it perfectly the creepy fi or something like the plural version of their words. But all of them together, they had more power than they previously imagined these dragons could have. So they were able to take him out. I gotta say, I I'm. St- I think that Daenerys, I mean, as as much as I sort of cheered for her in the House of the Undying, I think the way that she reacted, she acted af- afterwards, like, it did not help my love for her. Oh, really? How she, you know, how, yeah, I mean, I got I, I loved how she gained her power back and she became this badass Khaleesi, but then she locked her poor handmaiden in that room. I was like, why, why do you need to do that? And how... Why would you why would you keep her alive just for this? There's no reason to be sad though because we have the other guy to give us like all, all the it is it knowns is known. we need, you know? So mm-hmm. like she's it's not really true. we're not missing anything technically. I well, mean, you don't know well, you, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but uh no, but I I think that for me that was one of the only moments I started to like Daenerys this whole season cuz like I feel like she just got chained up like 
she's just reacting like Zaro Zohan duck sauce was the guy that sort of engineered the whole dragons getting trapped with the creepy faces. Right. So she's just like retaliating. She was like, Oh, you're the King of Karth. Oh, all these other guys got killed. So now you're the big guy. Well, but I, I kind of agree with what, um, Selena is saying though, because Doria, it wasn't her fault. I mean, if, if duck sauce yeah. comes up to her and says, look, I'm going to kill Khaleesi after I've killed, her her whole Kalasar, why wouldn't she believe what he's telling? I think she was more mad about the treasure being like a whole lie than anything. Like she was just retaliating that, okay, you lied about all that gold. Well, I'll just put you in the vault that you treasured so strongly. Like you promised me this vault if we got married. Well, there's nothing in it. So poo on you essentially. So I guess unless he has like a secret hiding space, a tunnel exit, in that vault that duck sauce will not be coming back any time in the future. You know, like how in a few episodes ago, Daenerys's Kalasar was like all killed. And then in this episode, she had like 20 people running around collecting gold. Yeah. Who were those people? <laughs> well, maybe they were just like the people that were hanging out nearby and they saw everyone stealing shit. So they were like, mm. it's like a riot. They just started <laughs> looting. Gold. That was excellent. Jorah's like, hey, you take this. You just take all the shit that you need. Maybe, maybe they shot the finale before they shot that episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's how yeah, filming goes. She, I've heard some continuity issues. Like now we're pointing now. it out. Yeah. Like, and now she suddenly has like a Kalazar again. Yeah. It just doesn't really make sense. Well, if she didn't have one, she could have bought one by that one gold bowl she held up to him. And she was like, hey, can we get a ship? And he was like, eh, maybe a small one. A like, small <laughs> ship. It was good. I've seen a deluge of things from friends, from listeners. And um, I think that we all want to know the, uh, the, the sort of the finality of this finale, of your opinion, Eric, of what's going on with Mr. Theon Greyjoy. What's going oh. on? You know, he had his shining moment followed by his worst moment. Um, and, and what is it, what is it about so these people? Funny. Their battle cries are all about getting fucked and fucking things. What, what well, is that I mean, shit? Simple places in Pike, you know? You're, I'm just talking. You're fish. Here's the thing, though. You said he had his shining moment. But did he really have a shining moment? Let's be let's be honest here. All right, like what about what he was talking about was shining at all? You know. Well, I I think that in order to have a shining moment, first of all, you have to have a low moment. You have to have a low point, and we've we've seen we've seen Theon's low point um, the past few episodes, but especially when he's talking with Master Lewin, like you know, I've done too much to go back. That sort of thing. The fact that right. the, the, he's, he's, he's uncomfortable, he's not going to be able to sleep, and that fucking hornblower is still blowing that fucking <laughs> horn. That that... I will kill that man! <laughs> no care how many arrows feather me with, how many spears they run through me, I will kill which, that hornblowing cut before I fall. <laughs> which was the funniest moment in the episode. So because the funniest moment in the episode went to him, I was feeling very good about it. Um, but no, since you know he goes from not being able to sleep that night because he's, you know, and there's no turning back and he realizes it, to this moment where he's actually tr- going to try and lead the 20 men that he's got in, into battle. And it's just I, I think that that was um, somehow a little redemptive now the fact of the matter is um, his 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 people his 20 men were smarter than than he and and they realized that there there is a way out of it for them all they don't kill him which is which is good you know they just knock him out they're like okay clearly see the, the problem is theon's a little bit incompetent 
Um, so yeah, but they're just gonna they're yeah. just gonna give them away though to to the guys outside. Like that's the only way they're gonna get oh, out. I didn't. Of the city. I didn't. I didn't. That would that would be that would be a little upsetting to me. Well, think about it. How like hey, listen, uh, Theon made us do this, and you guys don't like him. So here he is. Well, the um. I mean, Master Lewin was talking about the passageways, and I, I thought... Yeah, but he I didn't tell Theon, them, though. Well, no, I thought Theon would choose to do that, and then when he didn't, when he was like, no, we're going out to battle, I just figured his men made the executive decision, and they're going to take the tunnels. But if they just go and say, spare us... I, do- I seriously doubt that he told them. That's something that I feel like Theon would try to keep to himself, just in case he needed oh, to play yeah. that I mean, card I later. I assume they would guess that there were passageways, though. Just like King's Landing has passageways. Although the other thing is, even if they were to give Theon up, and be let free by the the Stark's men. Um, you know, any Stormborn returning home, as Rob Stark uh, ordered, you know, they can return home uh, safely, uninjured. What do you think Theon's, you know, father would 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 do to those men? I mean, like it or not, those men were actually supposed to uh, go with Theon in battle. Instead, they, you know, knock him over the head. But he doesn't necessarily have to know that, does he? Well, yeah. what, what kind like, of story is it when him. the 20 men holding Winterfell and Theon Greyjoy, all the 20 men make it out, but Theon doesn't? It just, somebody dropped the ball, mm. you know? Right. That's the- I don't know. Theon is just so stupid, though, that, like, if they just said, oh, well, he got himself captured, they'd probably... I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His family has very little faith in him, and, and I yeah. guess... You know, I gotta. I have to say, Eric, I, I agree with you, actually. When Theon was giving that pity speech to Master Lewin, I was trying really, really hard <laughs> not to feel sympathy for him, but I, I was just I laughing actually at him, actually. Imagine. It was so I, funny. Going home to your real father. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I felt a bit bad for him. Like, I can see where he's coming from. It doesn't mean that I like him or the things he does, but... And then he tried to give that speech. Like, he just... the. But he's just such an epic fail all yep. around. And he's, just, he's a fail well, but he was just like, okay, well, Eric, you were saying take these 20 guys in a battle. Is it, is it even technically a battle? Like, <laughs> it, no, a- no, I don't mean just because of the sheer number differences. I'm saying, like, I feel like his speech would have been inspiring if they had been doing something honorable, like protecting their own city. But they literally sacked a city guarded by a paralyzed child and a very old man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and th- what they were doing was completely wrong from the beginning and every single thing that they were doing, you know, and then they burned two kids mm-hmm. and, you know, and he's sleeping up in the chambers and he's hooking up with chicks he doesn't really need to be hooking up with, you know, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. It's just like it, the, the reason I feel like the reason his men didn't want to fight with him wasn't just because he was, you know, that they were going to get killed. Because at the end of the day, they really are, you know, these badass pirate people and like they do fight because they dislike shit and i feel like if they would have honestly thought that they were doing something worthwhile you know because they at the end of the day they were just sitting there with 20 guys in winterfell not doing or changing anything just like allowing theon to feel like a conqueror you know mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. he was speared in the belly and that was really sad i didn't think that i i, I was that's one of those deaths that i didn't think was very necessary like Way to be true to the books, guys. HBO took a big gamble right there. That's all I heard last year when Ned Stark was dead. They were like, oh, HBO is so brave to, <laughs> to kill off their main character. I'm like, yeah, HBO is really brave to follow the book. That's brave of them. I was so sad about Master Lewin, though. Like, I, I have just, I, I cried. Did you really? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I really did. Well, I'm glad the actual death happens off screen. I'm glad that it was done sort of in an honorable way he chose where he wanted to die 
the Kingswood is that where that that is? Godswood. Yeah, the weirwood tree. Weirwood tree. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've loved that tree since the first you know season <laughs> when when it started showing up. At the it's opening like the credits. Great Deku tree. It's got the face and everything. Like it is. Oh my yeah, God. think about it. You just go it's right so inside true. of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a magic tree. Selena, did you start crying when he was stabbed and like, I, or did or no. when he was yeah, dying no. later? <laughs> I was really embarrassed because I do not usually like you know I don't really respond that much to television but I, I i was tired and i was just like sitting there and i was like i, I have because i like master lewin and he was so nice and then he was sitting there and he was dying and he was really nice to the boys and i was just like oh my god <laughs> i didn't cry but i did get teary-eyed with that scene with meister lewin mm-hmm. did you really well, you guys are such manly men that, i admit uh... <laughs> it i admit it okay micah everyone on twitter mjt <laughs> mjt bomb has the meanest Twitter avatar I've ever seen. Just mean. Got your Syracuse hat on. Just mean. And he and you cried. How, how was it? <laughs> I didn't cry. I said I got teary eyed. Oh, Misty. Uh, I cried. And Selena cried. She cried for I the did. both. She cried probably I, enough for I, everybody I did. on the I show. I war cried. Oh, I just wanted his blood. Like uh, instead. Nothing happened. No, you cried. You told me. I did not cry. <laughs> You're manufacturing things now. No, no, no. Uh, we well, obviously you guys have listened to what I've cut in with um, with Eric and Theon. So he had his sort of romance with Theon in that moment. And Theon, oh, Eric, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eric. What did he like get cast? <laughs> Eric was in the show. I think Eric got teary eyed when Theon gave his speech. Right, Selena. That's kind of what happened. Yeah, I think he did. He, he was didn't so inspired. The he started bawling. <laughs> It's it's pathetic, honestly, watching him. You know the the start of the scene where he's crying like a little baby um, to Meister Lewin, and he's trying to give him advice, and uh, you know nothing seems to be working. He tells him, "Thank you, wise bald man. Thank you for explaining siege tactics to me." Yeah, I love that line, wise bald man, because that's sort of what what you see in in films and TV shows all the time. It is the wise wise bald man that With gives skinny the arms. Yeah. You know, it, it's it does seem like there's that element still though. And and here's where it's different. I know in the past we've talked about people trying to teach Theon, but that's Meister Lewin's job, which I think is a little bit different from when we br- brought up teaching Theon. You know, it's his job to give counsel. Right. And he's trying. He's trying to tell Theon, "Look, you're not the man that you're pretending to be. I know who you really are." I watched you grow up, you know, use the passages underground and get the hell out of here, go to the wall. You know, it, it's it, not that there's any good solution for him, but that's his own fault because he's put himself in this position, but he's still trying to help him in some respect, You know, he, I feel like. He really, really hated that horn. Like, he hated that horn. Like, he hated that horn more than anything. He told the guy that whoever was the guy that killed the dude with the horn would be put in bronze on the shores of Pike. <laughs> I was just like, damn. What are your thoughts exactly on whether or not he should have went to the wall? I mean, it it's exactly what he says, though, about Jon Snow, right? If, right. if Jon got wind of, of what happened at Winterfell, which to this point, there's no reason for us to believe that, that he knows because he's so far beyond the wall. Um, but... Theon doesn't know where he is, and if he goes to the wall, chances are he's as good as dead anyway. Well, since we're on John and that whole thing happened with him and Corrin, I feel like we got a teaser of it last episode when he was like, hey, basically check this out. Let's fight, right? But 
I, I think I saw it coming, but I wasn't exactly, and other people that are listening, you might be on the same page as me. Um, I didn't expect him to, to just like kill him immediately, like so quickly. I didn't know if it was going to happen this season. Yeah, I don't know that the point was made very clearly from, you know, in the interaction yeah, that took place. Yeah, why it needed place. to happen. Well, because in the yeah. book, uh, they have like sort of heart to hearts and he's like, listen, John, we, you need, you're going to have to kill me. It was like, he was like Professor Snape, essentially. You know what I mean? Like, he was like, you got to take care of me. Uh, this is going to suck, but you know, if you, if any of us want to come out of this alive, or if you want to come out of it, you know, being ahead and be able to do something of actual good <laughs> for the guys at the wall, like you're going to have to take care of me in order for these guys to trust you. Right. So Lord of Bones is rocking the rattle shirt and he's just like hopping around being all Lord of Bonesy. And he tells him, you know, let him fight. Let's see what happens. And so John obviously takes out corn half hand. And then the Lord of Bones immediately walks over to him. I just thought it was so cool how he was like calm and collected. And just like in that moment, it said so much with character movement rather than actual words or exposition. Like, hey, I'm just going to cut your wrists free. And so we had basically like pages and pages of a book, I'm assuming, done in like three seconds. And what that implied for John's future. Lucky that it happened right before he got to... um to the village. Well, they were like 10 feet away, right? Yeah, it was pretty much. They were pretty close, yeah. Very convenient, very convenient. Character-wise, we didn't really lose too many. Renly, obviously, I think he got a lot more face time in the series than he did in, in the books. At least he didn't seem as important of a character as he was made out to be. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, Selena. Uh, and then Corrin Halfhand, mm-hmm. um, obviously... But other than that, I mean, maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but I don't really think that there were as many shocking deaths this season as obviously last season with with Ned Stark. No, I mean, Mass Lewin, obviously, but I think because in the books, the... I I cried for the guy. I can't even remember (laughs) that he died. Uh, The the Bran and and Rickon uh, fake death happened. Mm, That's um, true. About, I would say, three-fourths of the way into the book, and it's not revealed until the very end that they're alive. So I feel like their quote-unquote deaths fill up a lot more of the of the storyline in the book. So it feels much more like two huge deaths have actually happened while right. you're reading it. So that's probably why it doesn't feel like we lost that many people. I mean, we lost Danny's entire Kalasar as well. Yeah, oh, but or I did mean, we? We didn't. We didn't. Who cares about them? They were hanging out somewhere else. We lost Captain yeah, Creepyface. Yeah, we lost that, him. It hit me pretty hard, guys. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do with that name now? I guess we can just, like I said, move on to ranks with the uh, scary cold people. I guess that works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you know, one person that they didn't really resolve anything with that we can assume is dead is Davos. That what? is true. Are you, oh, God, they didn't, did they? Mm-mm, not at all. I guess there was a lot of people they didn't visit swords. I mean, there's only so much you can fit in, and they didn't make this episode 20 minutes longer, too. So they they fit in a lot. And like I said, as I was gearing toward the end of the episode, and they had the last scene with Danny, and they were sacking the, the throne or the, the guy's house, basically. I was disappointed when I felt like that could have been the last shot, but yeah, they did cut it forward some more. So like, I'm not disappointed at all with how they handled it or what they left out. I just feel like they did everything that they could for what would be the most important parts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and how about, I mean, we, we talked briefly about some of the deaths uh, and, and Roger Cassell was another one that we forgot, but how about just Winterfell oh, yeah. as a whole? 
as they're walking away. I know. Well, like Hodor looked so damn concerned when he was walking through there with the like, people. Like I just, I thought that was great acting for that guy. First off, Christian Narn was just like kicking ass in that scene. And I, I know he doesn't get many speaking roles, but <laughs> I know seriously, like, well, I mean, I guess he does eventually or essentially, but it's kind of just the same thing over and over again. But, uh, they, they made it look devastated. Let's talk about the title of this episode. Oh yeah. Valamogulis. Yeah, it means uh, all men must die. Yeah. Interestingly. And it's interesting because early in the episode, in the season, we had an, an episode called um, uh, What is Dead May Never Die. So it's a lot of a lot of um, words about death, <laughs> I guess. It's very, it's very based on life and death. But yeah, all these different faiths and all these different beliefs that shape these people's understanding. It's a really interesting perspective because we have Arya running after Jacken and she's like, Hey, how'd you, how'd you get here? So like, how'd you know where I was? And he's just like, out of all the things that have happened, that is what you ask. And that right there basically just says like, Hey, there's some crazy stuff going on in this world. And it shows how innocent that she is, which is great that she's still growing as a character that that's the thing she talks about. And you've got so many different ages within the series. You've got people like Rob you've got people that are older, like Varys and people like, um, I almost called him Peter. People like Tyrion that are, you know, very, are very obviously asking different questions. But it's all, like you said, based around the same thing. It's what is dead may never die, and all men must die. Like this is, this is just how it is. Yeah, I was, I was really happy they kept in the, uh, the face change because I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and it finally happened. So can we talk mm-hmm. about our theories with that, or should we just leave it? No, I mean, there's a lot of theories that are out there, obviously. Um, but I, I think there's just uh, there's a lot left to be desired between those two because, you know, he says, well, if you ever find your way to Bravos, you know, <laughs> look me up through this magical coin. Well, well, we know that he's a faceless man in Bravos, who's they're gr- a group of assassins, right? So right. we know that he's a trained badass, essentially. And she says, my dancing master's there. But the quote that uh, you were talking about, to be a dancing master is a special thing, yeah. but to be a faceless man, that is something enti- else entirely. Oh, yes. I just, I, I love it that his uh, inflection and how he speaks, the whole cadence of his voice is on yeah. point in exactly the same as Serial Pharrell, which is cool. Well, they're both from Bravos. Right. It was just, a, it was just really great that they mess- matched up the linguistics as well. But I, the the impression that I got from Jacken, who now is not Jacken any longer... I, I feel like he's sort of like the Gandalf of Westeros for her personally. How he's sort of <laughs> sort of sent over from somewhere distant and far away and changes forms and is sort of like a it's like someone who has the power to shape your destiny but allows you the the sort of room to grow on your own because that growing on your own in a sense becomes you gain more power and the the struggle and the hardship that you do on your own makes you more powerful in the end and it's better for you rather than just getting it easily did um did anyone else think i already asked eric this but i want to know your input on this as well zach did anyone else think that the guy jack and highgar turned into looked a lot like quentin tarantino <laughs> Oh wow, he did. <laughs> he, didn't I he? Didn't get that. Yeah. I didn't get that. <laughs> I, I, think about I, it. I thought he. Tur- I thought he turned into. I thought the guy he turned into looked a little bit more like um, Rumpelstiltskin on uh, Once Upon a Time. You know what? I see both of your points, <laughs> and I think that you're both right. <laughs> and so now I'm just discovering that that Eric, you're a Once Upon a Time fan. Is, no, is the no, same I've as me. seen two episodes. Really, I have. Um, oh, 
Selena, are you with me? Have you finished the season? Of Once Upon a Time? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah, good shit. Anyway, Game of Thrones podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> I, Once I, Upon a Game of Thrones. <laughs> it was nice to see the two direwolves walking, and Hodor had that sweet-ass wheelbarrow that he made for Bran. So that was just nice. Just the whole the whole parting <laughs> shot of all of these characters was so strong, you know? Uh-huh. Even, even with Duck Sauce and the chick in the vault, like, every... I feel like it tried its best... To, and by it, I mean this episode tried its best to really bring that arc of what they've been building come to just a total close, you know? Yep. And they, I think yeah, compared fantastic. to how they ended last season, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was much, much better. Well, guys, we're only, like, we're 10 episodes in, but let's think about, like, chronologically how long, like, for example, we've been doing this show together. Not that long. It's been, like, two months. And we've had to go through this ride so quickly, and it's almost abrupt that it's been, you know, taken away this fast, you know? Yeah. I'm really upset. Like, it's such a long time to wait. But then again, I mean, I was worried that I would lose interest in the show between the first and second hiatus, and I absolutely didn't. I just got more and more excited. You know, that's true. Actually, Mike, you and I connected um, sort of, what was it? Like, was it at LeakyCon we talked about Game of Thrones? I forget. But, you know, when we eventually came to the idea of doing this whole thing... I think it was at Emerson's wedding, wasn't it? Right. No, maybe it was before that. It might have been at Emerson's wedding. I I feel like it was before it, because I think at the wedding we were a little too distracted to think about anything but the festivities. Uh, (laughs) And you walking home at night during long, dangerous distances to the city in a suit. (laughs) And getting uh, propositioned by hookers. Roz was there. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh... um, it's true, though, what you say, Selena. Like, I guess personally myself, because for me, it was just a TV show. Like, we launched Game of Owns in September. Um, or was it August? I think it was September. And um, it was just a TV show that I was I really enjoyed. And, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of Potter and a few, huge fan of Lord of the Rings and things like that. Like, you guys listen to the show. You've gathered that already. But there's something about this series that, has, that did create some kind of a, a continual fervor even over the gaps. And I think that... It's previously, I don't know if it's ever been seen in a television show before, which is why we, they just smashed records for themselves this past finale that we definitely posted about on the site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this show is such a, a cultural phenomenon, I feel that to, to be to use big words now, but um, <laughs> it it really is like that. It's such a, it's a thing that, you know, all the cool kids are watching, you could say. Like, I've tried a few times, speaking of weddings, I went to this wedding um last summer and i was talking to someone and i sort of slipped into the conversation winter is coming and then they sort of had that reaction of like oh i know what you mean by that and it was really cool <laughs> so we're like we're like essentially three books in to a very popular series you know what i mean like exactly. we're, we're not quite there yet hey i posted the link I, I know you guys have already seen it but let's just collectively look at what's happening right now <laughs> and that link i just put in skype <laughs> so we've got just a, a brilliant like john snow and the boys you've got rob they're just cheering some butter beers together just having a good old time you got brandon rickon obviously traditionally in the back not you can't really see brick uh, rickon it totally makes sense but uh no it's good i just i think that this entire like celebratory feeling that everyone's having it's like the big you know, like now it's time to gear up, gather your chickens, gather your, your forces or whatever you're doing. And, you know, however you're dealing with it yourself and either keep up with the series in your own way, which is by listening to podcasts like this or by watching reruns or by reading the books. I know that we've gotten actually quite a few reviews, like official reviews where people are just like, man, I don't know. I'm going to miss more of the series or the podcast, but we have wow. some daunting news for you guys that you, I guess, may not be happy to hear but 
we're not stopping. We're continuing. We're we're just gonna ride strong into the oblivion. Yay! And Joffrey yeah. dances in celebration. Right? Joffrey's gonna dance. No, we have a lot of stuff planned and we've been talking about it for a while. And we like we've like I said, we've only been doing the podcast here for just just over two months. We started at the end of March and right now it's the beginning of June. So I mean I guess technically we've been inside of three months. But um We'll probably talk about it more next episode because we're, you know, I guess going to obviously dedicate as much as we can of this directly to the f- discussions of the finale. I think one of the major things is that, you know, you kind of brought it up, I don't know how many episodes ago, but now we're s- slowly starting to see magic become incorporated into this series where it hasn't really necessarily played a, that big of a role, but now with the White Walkers and even with Melisandre, but, you know, I'd like to even have a discussion about that, you know, like how magic is starting to to become a major part of the series. I know Eric would enjoy that. <laughs> well, guess what? We have reached the portion of the episode where we get to not only uh, continue what we've been doing this whole episode, which is talking amongst ourselves, but we get to talk amongst ourselves even more and tell you guys about what we thought was the favorite owns of the week, which I guess when we say owns of the week, this is the owns of the finale, which is a daunting, like, I feel like there's so much pressure on us now to have a better one. Like a more creative one. Like I know, Micah, you've got something probably really creative, I bet. <laughs> no, you know, I try to bring the obscure ones. That's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah, every week. Like, you've got like hipster owns. Like, let's hear it. I don't know if th- this week, I mean, I'll try and see what I can do here. Do you need more I mean, we, we bring them. We bring them up, a lot of these up d- during the show. I, I thought the, the wise bald man one by Theon was pretty good. Right. I thought just the whole scene with Theon giving his speech and then getting knocked out was pretty own worthy yeah pretty own, big own yeah yeah that um, was very clearly a, a but own. i'll go with i'll go with uh Baelish when he says to sansa we're all liars here and each one is better than you good shit mm. good shit so my my own of the week is is kind of uh i don't want to say it's a two-parter but it's kind of dark and scary um i don't know about duck sauce mm. uh whether or not he emptied his vault uh prior to you know, the Khaleesi finding it and opening it, um, or if it always was empty. I'm, I'm not quite sure. If it always was empty, then he owned her pretty well a couple episodes back. But um, when Khaleesi put, um, obviously, the, the traitor, the whore, and uh, Daxus in the vault and closed it, it had a, the whole episode had a bit of, or that scene had a whole bit of a, a, a saw ending. Um, I just thought of the, the horrific things that awaited those two in the vault i want to play a game <laughs> um that to me was was a pretty good own okay well i i gotta i was considering different lines and stuff but i gotta say i gotta give this own to jason momoa because um who plays Khal drogo because do you, do you guys remember um during after he got killed off the second the first season he sort of went out and did loads of press um, for his new movie and he was keep he kept going on about how oh no I really want I know I'm dead but I really want to go back to Game of Thrones and I want to write myself back into the show and everyone was just sort of like he's an idiot just move on but he did it yep. he did oh, <laughs> he actually wow. returned to the show and I I was asking and I was asking um, Micah earlier if he pitched that scene himself. I think Selena wins our honorary hipster own of the week then, if that's how it's going to be. <laughs> that was very obscure of you. But I just, I thought that was so funny. And I figure that's pretty, it's it's a pretty big own. He pretty much owned like George R. R. Martin because he was like, you wrote me out of the book. I don't care. <laughs> I'm coming back. <laughs> He's like, I'm glad I stayed working out in the off season. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, I kept these tattoos. I never washed them off. I knew they were temporary. Mm. Um, I have two, as usual. And my first one's very short. It doesn't require much exposition. But it's when Shay says, fuck your money. Let's leave. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. Did you cry? Yeah. Oh, tears of sweet joy. <laughs> Just sweet, flowing joy. And then um, beyond that, I have to give the own to, um, I guess, what did I call him? Lieutenant Creepy Face. <laughs> Just the entire, that entire zombie army for stomping out and, uh, you know, forcing Sam to piss his pants because you know that he was. So I just felt like collectively, like if you really think about the tremendous passion that goes into an own inside of the Game of Thrones show, because I mean, the wordplay with Game of Owns is something that was sort of clever when it was come up with. But when I watched the show more and more, I realized how that's really, the show is just full of these moments. Like literally that's the entire show essentially. It's just these moments that people are just owning each other. And I think that collectively, even over everything that I've seen through the entire series one and two, when they walked out in their icy army, I just felt like that was it. Like with that music playing, like from a collective <laughs> like feeling standpoint, that Sam was probably feeling more terror than anyone had ever felt ever. So yeah, three blows. Yes, that uh, that guy, the the ice guy with the blue eyes, he pretty much owned like the winter. I don't he know. Had, he had very beautiful eyes, though, don't you think? He did big blue, big good just voice blue. too. He could do American Idol. <laughs> yeah, he he sounds like a lot like a Nazgul, actually. <laughs> yes. Have you guys seen that um that uh, Lord of the Rings extra with uh, Elijah Wood and um, Dominic Monaghan, where they do that spoof interview? Oh wait, wait, no! It's it was it a spoof interview or the one where Dom was like totally trolling him on his birthday? It, it was. It was oh. where he pretended to be a German and he went, "You have such beautiful <laughs> eyes, big oh, that, blue." <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. It paints such a great image. That of was the own the, of the, the week. friendships <laughs> that are built on these long filming projects, which I'm assuming that mm. is happening inside of these Game of Thrones series or these Game of Thrones filming. So I'd like to see even more of that if we get a chance to. And, and now here comes your favorite part of the show where we talk about the things that you've sent us on Twitter and Facebook and on the website. I've, I've got the best one from a Tran uh, Nguyen who um, I picked her last week as well. She just has the best one. She goes, I'm pretty sure Theon completely owned Spielman's heart, mind, soul and tears for at least a little while there so there you go eric <laughs> oh that's perfect got one here from shelby lynn walker who says the dragon's turning captain creepy face to captain barbecue face brienne showing her skills white walkers own that final seat jmt225 was the first person to say this but i think he was like literally like four seconds into the show and he tweeted at us like to be the first one he goes tywin's horse owning the castle <laughs> <laughs> Um, Penny Lane 516, which is actually uh, Eric's lady friend, says, my own of the week already goes to Brienne. May have spelt it wrong, but still. And I think that Brienne definitely <laughs> did deserve that own. Ashley Worf has a, uh, a good one as well. She said, the most understated own of the week was when Theon said, send out a raven. And Master Lewin goes, you killed all the ravens. Ginny <laughs> <laughs> 081 says, Jacken owned his face. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Larry the Wombat says, This ep owned my soul with sadness until dragons started burning Aww. down the house and White Walkers showed up. 
That's a pretty good. I guess we could have just read that and we could have ended the podcast episode there. Jack Stallard says, Varys's slit totally owned Ross. <laughs> oh, God. I actually, I think I favorited that or something on, on Twitter. I was like, I, I had to do something. That was perfect. You guys, I just, I just thought of something, which is, um, you know how in the show that they keep going, it is known? Yes. Well, we should go. It is owned. Oh, my God. Selena wins mm-hmm. own of the week for coming up with something <laughs> hilarious. Congratulations, Selena. Matt Christian on Facebook. Tywin's horse owns the aisle with his droppings. And he owns himself twice by misspelling Tywin twice. And I thought that was hilarious. And I liked <laughs> every single one of his misspellings three times in a row. So thank you, Matt Christian. <laughs> All right. Carolyn J agrees with you, Zach. Danny and Drogo's imaginary baby for having more hair on its head than any other baby on the planet. Oh, there we go. Perfect. That baby did have an unnatural amount of hair. Like, what kind of weave did they have to put into that baby? All right, Tokamasho, Brienne owned that random Stark soldier, two quick deaths, question mark. He left room to be desired, and it did happen, so good job, Tokamasho. And Tran does have the best ones. I have to agree with you. She's pretty damn good at that. I'm sad for all these people that are just, like, excellent at being hilarious, because when the show's over, I guess the only owns you'll have to pull from is what happens with us on the podcast. So I guess we'll make sure to try to, like, I'll... Bring up stuff like, I don't know, like Micah got owned by a hurricane almost once we were talking about before the podcast. (laughs) And the horse, horse shit pretty much owned everything too. I just wonder, I want to ask somebody what the hell the point of that was. Was it just foreshadowing to Sam crapping his pants at the end of the episode? (laughs) Hey, he peed his pants, okay? It's warmer, okay? (laughs) I think, I think it was pretty much just to say we're HBO and we don't just do do this. We can do horse shit as well. In the, uh, in the, uh, Recording with Eric, Selena and I had a serious discussion about how we would pull that off technically on film with the shit falling. So you got to miss that. <laughs> Basically, there are uh, just an extremely complex amount of owns that you guys came out with. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. Um, you probably have seen this already. You may not have yet seen it already if you are listening to your show on your iTunes and you're, you haven't quite followed us on Twitter. But um, earlier this week, I guess, no, this weekend, we launched a new version of GameOfOwns.com. Do, is this where we do applause and cheering or something? Like, oh, Woo! my God. Uh, Joffrey does a so dance. Good. Yeah, Joffrey's dancing. You'll see the gif. But um, we sort of took the site in the direction that we wanted to take it and was able to put a little bit of work into it. So, yeah, brand new GameOfOwns.com. Enjoy. Um, I don't want to go into too many details because... Hell, you'll find it yourself, and that's it, more fun. It that looks way. absolutely awesome. It's this is where you go to basically find out how much Game of Thrones owns, right. and how much you guys, the fans, own the internet with the amazing stuff that you come up with about the show. Yeah, exactly. She's she's much more eloquent at talking than I am. Yes. So we'll because I didn't do it, it, so I don't feel bad bragging about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, Enjoy that, guys. What we'll do, we'll put together a post of some great screenshots of all your sweet owns so everyone that's not only on Twitter but can all revel and enjoy the same owns. How's that sound? Sounds fantastic. Oh, yes. Awesome. It is owned. Owned. <laughs> not as, uh, I guess, recently redesigned as well. Uh, interestingly enough, hypable.com um, is where I am at, and I post news about Game of Thrones and Once Upon a Time, which we brought up earlier, and lots of other fandoms. Um so do check that out and comment on the podcast posts over there. Selena just came out with an article today, the dueling, like the five shows that you would want to have canceled, like that you could bring back oh, or yeah. something. Let's bring back Mr. Yes. Magoo. Let's bring back <laughs> Undeclared. Um, let's bring back Ghost Rider. And let's bring back Hey Dude from Nickelodeon. What do you think, Micah? I completely agree. Thank you. How'd you, you had picked them 
Well, I left, Shows right I left out my off head. Global Guts, but Michael Malley is a little bit too busy with Glee, don't you think? My list was pretty much just an excuse to um, pimp out Dark Angel, which I'm like the only person on the in the world who watch who who, who likes. I feel like because I was 13. <laughs> I saw it, well, this is Game of Thrones. I'll take this any is excuse. The journey that we're all taking. I, I I vote that everyone listening to this podcast right now, let's take the black together and journey into this off season that we're not sure what's going to happen, but it's going to be fun and interesting, and we'd love to have you with us. So come on Absolutely. back next week when we can talk about more spoilerish type. Things. I mean, we'll definitely have a I think a, a a mix of shows during the hiatus that are both for the people who don't want to know anything about the book, so we'll focus on show discussion and then we'll have discussions where we delve into the books a lot deeper and we discuss future events and what's coming up and how we think that compares to the TV show and our theories and all that. But we will we'll obviously let you guys know at the beginning of the show if you need to be aware that there's a spoiler warning. Right. We have um we have lots of plans and I, I guess that once we refine them perfectly we're gonna give you a, a set of sort of guide not really not a set of expectations and we'll 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 throw those out next week and along with some really special people that we're planning on having on the show throughout the off season. So yeah, it's gonna be a good time. We'll put a disclaimer up. Something like yeah. that. If you've not read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part, no. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, no listen kidding. to every, every episode of Game of Thrones, <laughs> the artwork is just going to be like the ones that have spoilers in it are just going to be Micah's Twitter profile picture, just glaring at you, scaring you away. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so if you would like to uh, contact us after checking out the new Game of Thrones website, you can do so at contact at com. Or you can tweet at us at Game of Owns or leave us a little message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Game of Owns. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we've had making it, uh, feel free to give us a five-star uh, review on uh, on iTunes. Uh, nothing less than that is acceptable. I'm sorry <laughs> if for some reason you feel the need to give four, three, three and a half. Um, you know, you're... Uh, <laughs> Your headphones will explode with wildfire. <laughs> That's just the way it works. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, of course, we uh, we love going onto iTunes and and getting your guys' feedback and hearing what you have to say about the show. And and we try and and take what you say and and use it constructively and hopefully come back and and give you guys a, a better show each and every week. So thanks so much for the the feedback. We really appreciate it. If you guys navigate strategically to the front page of gameofowns.com, you will see that we have taken most of your reviews, a lot of the shorter ones and, you know, taken snippets out of some of the bigger ones and planted them firmly on the front page of gameofowns.com. So you're going to see a lot of your names on there. So obviously the more hilarious ones you guys bring in, they'll probably be on the so website. Basically we're bribing you into five star. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, we hope that you enjoyed and that you will enjoy and that you continue to enjoy things that are enjoyable. I'm Zach. Lally. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. My name is Eric Skull. And I'm Selena Wilkin. Is he now Eric Greyjoy? Is that oh, his new name? I, Eric think, I think they've made it official. Yeah. I like it. Goodbye. Bye.